This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. That is John 17, 14 through 18. Guys, welcome back to the show. We are doing something really fun today. We're getting to y'all's questions. So we don't do that as often as we probably should, but we're going to do a Q&A episode today, but we're going to change the name of it because apparently people don't say Q&A anymore. They say AMA, which is ask me anything. And so guys, if you want your question to be answered on a you know future version of AMA, you can ask me anything by sending me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. But you can also send us a DM. Typically, I, I look at the ones on Instagram. Facebook is like a, a cavern that you can't get to the back of. And if you leave me a comment on one of the questions or one of our posts or something like that, I may not see it because I don't really look at the comments unless I'm specifically asking for questions. So guys, if you want your questions to be put in our bank to be pulled out for later, you can do it that way. But <clears throat> real quick, before we get into the questions for the day. Just wanted to give another sh- another shout out and thank you to our donors. We're so thankful for all the guys that give us money to to donate to us on a monthly basis so that we're able to do the work that we do. Equipping men to push back darkness takes a lot of time, but it also takes a lot of money. Everything we do costs money. So we're so thankful for you guys. And just wanted to remind you that if you haven't gotten your loved ones in your life a present for Christmas yet, we don't have a huge store. You know, we have some hats, we have some shirts and stuff like that. You can go get our shirts. It's all great. It's there in the Undaunted Life shop on our on our store. But the cigars. We make the greatest cigars because we partnered with cigars.com to bring you guys an undaunted life cigar. This is an incredible cigar. You've heard me talk about it before. The proceeds from this go to the rescue team of the Tim Tebow Foundation. So that is the team on the Tim Tebow Foundation that actively fights against child sex trafficking, as in they are preventing it from happening and they are going and saving children that are currently locked away and being used as sex slaves. And so it is a great cause, but it's also a great smoke. You can check that out as well. So again, we're changing it from Q&A to AMA, but again, if you've listened to this before, you kind of know the drill. We're going to do a dozen or so questions. We're going to launch right in here with the first question of the day, which is, do you support Christian nationalism? So this is an interesting question, and obviously I could spend an entire hour just flowing on this. The problem with a question like this is, I'm not talking directly to this person that asked me it, but I, I get the assumption that they're asking this in a fair way. The problem with a question like this about Christian nationalism is, what do you mean? Because I could ask 10 people, what do they think Christian nationalism is? I would assume that half of them couldn't even come up with a definition because they've never heard of it. And then the other half would come up with completely different definitions. And the reason is, is because the two words that make up the, the term Christian nationalism are kind of amorphous terms. Because if you were to ask 100 people, what does it mean to be a Christian? You're going to get a bunch of different answers. Everything from, oh, you just need to kind of live a good life and, you know, vote Republican all the way up to, hey, you have to repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, right? You know, you're, you're going to get those two answers and everything in between. So it's hard to define that part of the term, but then also nationalism. What do you mean by nationalist? So specifically, I just plugged the word nationalist into Google before I started this, and here's all the different definitions you'll get for nationalist. Nationalism is an idea or movement that holds that the nation should be congruent with the state. That's one definition. Another one, in theology, one who holds to the divine election of entire nations as distinguished from that of particular individuals. Another definition, a member of a Jewish political party in the time of Christ, otherwise known as the Zealots. Another one is a supporter of Irish nationalism. Another one is an idea or movement that holds that the nation should be, well, I've already read that one, congruent with the state. Here's another one. It presupposes the existence of nations. That's another definition of nationalist. Another definition is it tends to promote the interests of a particular nation. And then there's there's more that go out from there. You know, uh, there's the ones that are gaining and maintaining the, the sovereignty of a nation or something like that. And so I say all that to say this. There are certainly versions of Christian nationalism that I wouldn't co-sign. The versions that say that the United States is the only way of doing a nation state. I wouldn't really agree with that, that the, the the Christianity that we see in the church in America right now should be the blueprint, blueprint for churches all over the place. I certainly wouldn't co-sign that right now because you have a lot of churches that are doing things that are completely abiblical. You have a lot of churches that are doing things that are actually heretical uh, as it comes to the theology that we get directly from the words of Scripture. So this is what I will say, though. In general, I'm not bothered by the term Christian nationalist. If someone were to call me a Christian nationalist and they would mean it as a dig, I wouldn't take it as a dig. 
And the reason is, is because in general, and I'll explain myself, I am a Christian and I am a nationalist. And this is what I mean. As a Christian, I have put my faith in Christ for the propitiation of my sins, right? I've repented of my sins and put my faith in Christ for my eternal salvation. So by that, I mean that I am a Christian. I am also a nationalist in that I believe that we should support the things that the United States is doing as a nation. I don't mean all things at all times, but I mean of all the countries that have ever existed, the United States is the closest to getting it right. We are, we are the most, I'm not saying we don't do immoral things or don't make mistakes. I'm saying we are the most moral nation. And when you go back to our founding documents, they are the most biblical in terms of what they set out to do as a nation from our founding fathers, as we've ever seen in the history of the world. That's certainly the case. Now, here we are in 2023, and we have just, you, we've gone so far away from what the founders have, have tried to do as a nation, and we're, we're basically watching the downfall of our great nation right before our very eyes. But for us, I think this also gets into a discussion of theonomy versus theocracy. So a theocracy is basically the top-down enforcement from the state of a particular religion. So that's what a theocracy is. You will have this religion. This is what we're going to do. Whereas a theonomy is your, we'll use Christian in this context. It's your Christian understanding of how the nation should comport itself and operate. You're saying that's how things should be done. So in America right now, we don't live in a theonomy or a theocracy. There are elements of a theonomy in terms of how we operate, but that's certainly not how we operate. And the reason I say that is this is because how often do you hear about a member of Congress, right? Whether they're in the House or the Senate or the president or whoever, one of our, you know, overlords. How often do you hear about them saying, well, in reference to, you know, Bill 8251, uh, I have consulted the scripture. I've spent some time in prayer and I fasted and I came to the conclusion that we cannot support this because it doesn't lead to human flourishing in this way. Have you ever heard someone say that? Have you heard the mayor of your local red city that you live in say something like that? Because if we were in a theonomy, that's how we would operate. Because we would have the free will to operate in that religion being Christianity. Whereas a theocracy, it's forced down, so it's not actually real. We don't have that. But I think we should. That would be amazing. If the people in government, the people that were running all these different laws and trying to do these things, if they were focused on the flourishing of people that have the image of God written on them, people that have the Imago Dei, that would be awesome. So back to the original question, do you support Christian nationalism in the way that I've described it? Yes, I absolutely do. But there have been entire books written about Christian nationalism that I think miss the mark. There are people that are advocates of Christian nationalism that can't really define the term fully which I can't get behind and support, but hopefully that gives you at least a little bit of a coalesced answer there. Hey guys, real quick, I've talked about this on the show before, but I've been experimenting with the idea of getting on the carnivore diet. And so I've got a good buddy, Chad Robichaux, who's been on the podcast that he's been on the carnivore diet for a while. He's seen a lot of great success. But the big thing that I've been worrying about is like, where do I get high quality beef? Like where exactly can I get beef where I can trust that's coming from a reputable source that it doesn't have a bunch of junk that's been in it. And I've been looking for a cattle operation partner to really partner up with. And that's why I want to introduce you to the new official beef delivery partner of Undaunted Life, and that's my friends at Primal Beef. So Primal Beef is a brand new cattle operation owned and operated by Sean Glass. So he is a retired Navy SEAL that served with Jocko Willing, and Jocko is also a partner in Primal Beef. So what makes Primal Beef different from the other fly-by-night beef delivery companies? It's a combination of the following. So it's all-American black Angus cattle. The beef comes from one farm, and that's in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley. Also, the beef is all-natural. There are no, no hormones added ever, no antibiotics ever, no mRNA ever. And here's a cool thing. After slaughter, the beef is dry-aged, and then it's hand-cut by artisan butchers and then flash-frozen to ensure that it maintains the tenderness and marbling and flavor that you'll want by the time it gets to you. And here's another cool thing. For every box sold, guys, Primal Beef donates meat directly to a member of America's Special Operations Forces through the C4 Foundation. So you can take pride in knowing that your purchase will help literally put food on the table for one of America's finest warriors. So are you salivating yet? Because if not, 
You should be, guys. Try Primal Beef out today by going to www.primalbeef.com. That will be in the show notes. That's primalbeef.com. Use the promo code Kyle. That's my first name, K-Y-L-E, Kyle, for 10% off of your order. Again, that is primalbeef.com. Use the code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get 10% off of your order. All right, next question here. I wrestled in high school 20 plus years ago and would like to get back into something like that, a la jujitsu. How do I go about finding the right gym and are there certain things I should be looking for? Okay, so uh, to, to this person that's coming up with this question, yes, like I, I'm, I'm all here for it. I'm so glad that you wrestled in high school. You acknowledged that, that was a long time ago, but you're wanting to get back into that because what that communicates to me is that you're fine with embracing the suck. Because even if you are on a crappy high school wrestling team, your life sucks, at least while practice is happening. Like, because I wrestled a little bit and then I mainly played baseball. Baseball practice was boring, right? You know, you do your normal practice where you take infield, you take outfield, you run some drills, you know, you go take your uh, cuts, you put two bunts down and then you get, you get your 10 cuts and then you run the bases a little bit and it was just boring. Whereas wrestling practice was just brutal. And wrestling practice in high school was the first place that I fell in love with just being so unbelievably exhausted, but not dying because <laughs> that's what's re- that's what redlining is. That's what I tell you guys all, all the time that you need to do is you need to redline at least once a week, get to that, that point where you're like, I don't think I could have done another rep. I don't think I could have done, you know, one more step or, or sprinted one more sprint. And that's just kind of what wrestling practice is. Yes, there are skills that you learn. Yes, there are drills that you do that aren't at full bore, but then you're, you're competing. You're competing all the time in the room at tournaments and those types of things. So I'm so glad that you've probably acknowledged the guy that's asking this question. You've acknowledged that you've, you've missed out on that as part of your life now that you're in your, your 30s or 40s. Now, in terms of finding the right gym, that is a super contextual question to you and where you live. Because I, I get people that ask me all the time, you get two questions I get all the time that are based on locale. Number one, hey, do you know of a church that's man-friendly in my area? I'm in, you know, Bangor, Maine. Or I'll get someone that asks, hey, do you know of a good jiu-jitsu gym in Louisville, Kentucky? It'll be something like that. And the reality is, is like, there's way too many questions that I need to ask you to be able to give you a, a good specific answer to where you live. But here's what I'll say in general. The gym should be relatively close to you. And the reason why I say that is because if you have to drive an hour to go to the nearest really, really, really good jujitsu school, I would much rather you go to a gym that's perhaps not as good, that's 15 minutes away as opposed to an hour and away. And the reason is because it doesn't matter how good the school is if you don't go. And if you've got a family, if you run a business, if you've got a job that demands you to actually work and those types of things, you're going to find it very, very difficult to do what you need to do in order to get good at jujitsu, which is to train at minimum three times a week because we're talking about an hour each way. So now we're talking like six hours of just driving during a week to get to jujitsu. And when I look at a, you know, a calendar like mine, there's not a six hour gap to do anything. So if I had to drive that far to train, that would be terrible. Now for me, I'm very, very, very lucky in that the best jujitsu gym in the state of Oklahoma is 10 minutes away from my house. Whether you want to be a really good hobbyist or you want to train to be a world champion, you do that at the Forge here in Edmond, Oklahoma. And I'm very, very lucky to have that. So I would say that proximity to the gym is very, very important. Also, you need to define what it is you're wanting to accomplish with jujitsu and then align that with a gym's goals. So I mentioned like at the Forge, if you want to train to be a world champion, you can do that at the Forge. And also if you just want to train to be, you know, a a good guy that can fight, but you're mainly a hobbyist and you're not going to compete a whole bunch, you can do that there as well. But there are some gyms that just do either or. There are some gyms where it's like, hey, you know, we're pretty casual here and, you know, yeah, you can compete in a local tournament here and there, but we're not going to really require that. We don't have like really spelled out curriculum in order for you to belt up and all that kind of stuff. And you might have a gym like that. But I also know about gyms that I have buddies that train at, that these are competition gyms, that you cannot train there unless you are training to compete and to compete on a regular basis and potentially to compete in a national or international scale. And so if you want to be like a world champion level person and compete all the time, you don't want to go to a casual, relaxed gym. And the same is true in the opposite. If you just want to, you know, get good and just kind of do this as a hobby, you don't. 
you want to go to a gym that just wants you to be an, you know, an international killer and they probably won't let you keep training there either. So you need to kind of get a sense of that. And the last thing I'll say here on this one is you have to like the people that you train with. There are some gyms that are ran by complete douchebags, right? There's some here locally where it's just like, it's almost impossible to enjoy what you're doing because the people that run the school just suck. They're bad people. They don't have your best interests at heart. You have some gyms where everybody goes hard all the time and people are getting hurt all the time. That's probably not an environment that you want to be in. You want to be in a gym where people are looking to take care of each other in a gym where it's again, aligning with your values in terms of, and your goals of what you want to do with jujitsu. But guys, the ubiquity of jujitsu gyms now is insane. Now, the quality of jiu-jitsu gyms uh, now compared to 10 years ago can be a little bit more hit or miss. But, you know, 10 years ago, if you ran into a brown belt, it was like, oh my gosh, I found one. And a black belt was just basically like a pink unicorn, right? But now you have so many quality black belts, so many quality brown belts, so many quality purple belts just across the nation. You're going to be able to find a good spot unless you live completely in the middle of nowhere in like rural Montana. You're probably not going to find a great spot there. And also just want to throw out there again, you've got to have good stuff if you're going to train. So I talk about all the time origin. So origin, they started out making jujitsu geese. It's the only gi that is 100% made here in the United States. Everything else is made in like Pakistan or, you know, some other places, China. And so if you want really, really high quality stuff that's made here in America by American hands, go get Origin stuff. They've got rash guards. They've got like flexible gi pants. It's not the cheapest stuff in the world, but it's super high quality. And again, use my promo code undaunted. You'll get 10% off at checkout. So again, thank you for that question. Our next question here. What is the biggest animal you think you could kill with your bare hands. Okay. (laughs) So first of all, this is a great question. This is an amazing question. And second of all, I've been like, from the first moment I saw this and I, you know, knew I was going to, you know, talk about it on the show. I've been thinking about it and I don't have a great answer. Like I really don't. Cause I keep thinking like, okay, you know, I, I basically can't kill anything in the water. Right. Because you, you throw me in the water and, you know, if there's not a shark that I could defeat basically in the water, because that's like that's their world. I was meant to be on land. So it basically takes out all land animals. And then I started thinking like, OK, what's like a big animal that I could kill with my bare hands when they were like a baby? Because it's like I can't kill, you know, an adult hippo. I can't kill an elephant. I can't kill, kill a giraffe. Uh, I, you know, we're in the middle of hunting season right now in Oklahoma. So it's like, you know, could I kill, you know, a good sized buck with my bare hands? And it's like, man, if you see any videos of, of dudes that, you know, get into it with, with bucks like that, that's super dangerous. And so obviously an elk or a moose would be horrible, you know, even like a baby bear that are super resilient and they're not that big, but then when they get big enough to be considered to be like a, a big animal, then they're going to be incredibly hard to kill. So I'm literally sitting here without, without a great answer. Um, I don't know. Is a giant sloth still a thing? I heard that that animal might still exist. Like, I don't know how big sloths get, uh, but they seem like an animal that I could, I could pretty much take out. I guess it's gotta be an animal that's pretty docile. doesn't have really big teeth or like crazy talons or claws or something like that. Um, okay. You know, we're, we're going to say this. I'm going to say a baby giraffe. Not like it's not like a super baby, maybe like a six month old, because those are pretty docile animals. And like only the adults, they fight, they fight by like flinging their necks and heads against other animals. It's crazy. You should, you know, go YouTube, you know, you know, giraffes fighting or whatever. But again, I've got my bare hands, so I don't have any knives. I don't have any weapons, no, no firearms, nothing like that. I feel like I could probably, I won't get into how I would do it because that's going to get a little bit macabre for some people, but I feel like you know, maybe here, I actually need to Google this real quick. Let's see like how big, how big is a, we'll just say six month old giraffe. All right, let's check this out. Let's see what we got. Storyteller.com. Okay. 17 baby giraffe facts, size, diet skills. Okay. Well, uh, let's just go to size. Some of you, y'all are like super over this, but I'm like, I'm, I'm here. We're here for it. Okay. The gestation period for a baby giraffe is around 15 months or 460 days. That allows them to develop in size. Okay, yeah, yeah. But how big are they? Okay, they can grow to double their size after the first year. So a baby giraffe can grow up to an inch every day during their first week after birth. Okay, baby giraffes aren't light either. At birth, they can weigh 100 to 150 pounds. 
Okay, so maybe like a three-week-old giraffe or something like that because they're going to get pretty big pretty quick. But okay, maybe I could take out their legs and then get some sort of a choke in. I mean, look at the size of their neck. I could basically choke that thing anywhere. So as long as I can get my arms around their neck. Okay, so I went way too far down this rabbit hole, uh, giraffe hole, if you will. So the biggest animal that I think I could kill with my bare hands, I'm going to say three-week-old giraffe, final answer. All right, next question here. What are your thoughts on slap fighting? Okay, so I think you're referring to like, uh, what is it, Dana White's thing, the, the power slap thing. So if you guys haven't seen this, it's where literally two people stand in front of each other and they go one, two, three, and they slap the person in front of them. And the person in front of them has their hands behind their back. They are not doing anything to brace for the shot. They've got like a mouthpiece in, but aside from that or, or growing a big beard, there's basically nothing that they do to take away the shot. And so essentially you're just seeing people getting knocked out left and right because these people aren't like slapping you like you're slapping the bottom of a baby. They're basically palm striking you on your jaw. My overall thoughts on this is I remember the first time I saw this happen in Russia because all the craziest stuff happens in Russia. I've seen, you know, phone booth fighting in Russia. I've seen, you know, car jujitsu. It all starts in Russia, right? The first time I saw it, I thought it was awesome. I was like, oh, this is crazy. And like, look at these people slapping each other. Look at these knockouts. But then after my initial kind of like, oh, this is unique and kind of funny, I was like, wait, this kind of sucks. And now you've got Dana White is trying to force feed power slap this league that they've created down everyone's throat. And it's it's somewhere between disgusting and just laughable to most people because these are not athletes. Like, I'm sure some of these people are athletic, but this is not an athletic feat. You're literally standing there and allowing someone to slap you and you just go back and forth, back and forth until what is it? I guess somebody gives up or somebody actually gets knocked out. And I look at, you know, you're seeing some of the same referees for this as you would see in the octagon. And it's like, how in the world are they cool with this? Because the thing about boxing or MMA or Muay Thai or kickboxing is you're actively trying not to get knocked out. Like that's the whole point. You're trying to score enough points on the other person to win a decision or to TKO them or KO them. You want to stop the fight, right? That's not what this is. And you see this, this video of these people in the back and they're showing them like warming up and they're like hitting pads. And it's just like, that. I feel like we're getting punked. Like this is just absolute nonsense. So to anyone out there that's considering a career in power slap, please don't do that. Please don't do this at all. Like every single one of these people even if they don't get knocked out, they're getting concussed. And then that's going to lead to brain damage. And who the heck knows what these people do for training? Like, are they actually doing that in training? What are they wearing pads on the side of their head so that they can train for it? So overall, my thoughts on slap fighting is I think it's, it's a travesty. I think it's ridiculous. I don't think anyone should do it. I don't think it should be banned because if that's what you want to do, sure, that's fine. But I'm not going to support it. All right, next question here. You seem to have expressed a lot of Trump hate since he left office. Will you vote for Trump in the general election if he's the Republican nominee? So let me address the, the, the question first, and I'll go back to the comment. Yes, of course. If he wins the primary for the Republican Party, which it super duper seems like he's going to run away with it. He has an historic lead over Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley at the, at the moment. It would take something colossal uh, to happen to him or through him, I guess, to keep him from winning the Republican uh, nomination for the general election for next year. And as much as I don't like Donald Trump and some of the things that he's done and some of the things that he said and the way that he's acted and the fact that he cost the Republicans the Senate because they lost both Georgia Senate seats after the 2020 election and all this stuff about Trump that I can say that I don't like, he's going to be better than Joe Biden. Or whoever's in there, you know, Gavin Newsom, uh, Kamala Harris, or whoever ends up being the representative for the Democratic side, it's certainly going to be better. Now, again, I've expressed some uh, concern over the fact that if he is the nominee, I don't see a path to victory for him. And as I've talked about here recently, there's national polls showing him up in national polls. But again, the national polls don't matter because it's going to come down to a handful of states. It's going to come down to Wisconsin and Ohio and, and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Nevada and Georgia and states like that. It's not going to come down to the nation. And even if he's showing leads in those states, the, the election's a year from now. The, the mainstream media and the Democratic Party is going to do every single thing that they can to get you to focus on Donald Trump and not the fact that Joe Biden can't make it five minutes in public without crapping himself or tripping and falling, right? 
And so, but now to the, to the comment, you seem to have expressed a lot of Trump hate since he left office. The thing about this, and it's especially true with Trump people, but, it, but it's true just in general. If you're critical of a public person, then your people would be like, why are you being a hater? Why do you hate this person? So if I say something about LeBron James, like how can you be six foot eight, 250 pounds, the greatest athlete maybe ever to live, but then a guy bumps into you and you go flying into the 17th row. Yeah, I don't like that. Well, I mean, why are you such a hater? I'm not a hater. I just really don't like that. And so with Trump, I'm fine calling balls and strikes. I am fine expressing my joy over the good things that he's done. And I've told you before, even though I don't think he's pro-life in his heart, he led to bringing three justices onto the Supreme Court so that Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey could go the way of the trash bin. I'm good for all that. I'm great with the, the, the Abraham Accords and the way the, the economy was going when he was in office and everything that he did basically before 2020. I, I was cool with that. But why can't I express a lot of disappointment how Trump has comported himself since the election? Like, no, I don't think he was the person in charge of January the 6th, but I think he did some things wrong that day that led to some pretty awful things that happened in the country. Like, I, yeah, I don't really like what happened there. I hate the fact that he basically handed the Senate over to the Democrats because he basically told Republicans to stay home in the Senate runoffs in the state of Georgia. I hate the fact that he keeps backing these horrible candidates that continue to lose, right? When you have Carrie Lake losing in Arizona to basically a sack of potatoes, you have a Dr. Oz losing in Pennsylvania, right? These are, these are important governor and Senate races that basically if Trump endorses you in a race that was going to be tight, you're going to lose. Yeah, I don't like that very much. I also don't like the fact that if he were to lose the Republican nomination, which I don't see happening, he's not going to throw his support behind the person that would take over the mantle. I don't like that. I also don't like the fact that assuming that he wins the primary but loses the general, he's not just going to go away. He's probably going to run again in 2028. Or he's going to point everyone towards Don Jr. or Ivanka or something like that. These are all things that I don't like. Why can't I say that? If I express these feelings or these thoughts that are negative towards Trump and his political machine, then, then I hate him. Then I have Trump hate. No, I love this country. And when given the binary, the awful binary of Donald Trump and Joe Biden, I'm obviously going to go with Donald Trump. But that isn't going to mean I'm going to become a sycophantic supporter of everything that he says and does. That's just not what I'm going to do. Our next question here. How is it even possible that metal music could honor God? I actually remember who sent me this question because this was a, an older lady that was uh, very, very concerned about the music of the podcast at the beginning and end of my episodes, concerned about the music that I would share on social media or the albums that I would say, hey, you, should, you guys should go and listen to this. And this was her exact question is, how is it even possible that metal music can honor God? To which I asked her and I would ask back, how is it possible that any type of music could not honor God? Because obviously, in the panoply of musical options that there are out there, whether it's classical or pop or hip hop or outlaw country or jazz, is there not versions of that music that is dishonoring to God? Because duh, because there are people that are non-Christians that are not Christ followers that make this music to support their ends. And some of the music in the genres that I described are heinous. The lyrical content is absolutely just horrific. And all the way up to people that are actively doing things to try and be dishonoring to God. And so why are you focusing so much on how a genre of music sounds as opposed to the content of the songs, the lyrical content, and also the hearts of the people that are making it? Because I have listened to songs. So let, let's, take a, let's take a metal band that has five members, right? So you got lead singer, lead guitarist, rhythm guitarist, bassist, and drummer, right? This one band, every single person in the band is a Satanist, a practicing Satanist. They are actively making sounds and lyrical content, and they are doing it in service to Satanism. And then you have another group over here, five guys. They're making the exact same sounding music. It sounds to the untrained ear the exact same way, but all five guys are Christ followers, and they are worshiping God by making music that they like the sound of, but they're doing it to his glory. Because I've heard people talk about, oh, well, the music you listen to has demon notes. I'm like, what exactly is the note that is only demonic? 
What are the sounds or notes or, or chords or vocal sounds that are only going to be honoring to God and then the ones that are only going to be honoring to Satan? Again, these people, when you start to extrapolate out the worldview and start peeling back the layers of the onion, it's like, what do you mean? Are there sounds that God can't redeem? If you use drop G tuning in your guitar and have this super beefy sound, can that not honor God? Because I'll tell you this right now, some of the beefiest, just sludgiest, darkest sounding music is coming from people that are, that are basically driven by the gospel to make that music. I'm thinking about For Today and uh, Convictions and Impending Doom and O oh Sleeper. And these are bands that are focused on the gospel. They spread the gospel. They preach the gospel at their shows. And they just so happen to do it with a sound that you don't like. I mean, even look at Holy Name. They're the people that have our music right now. This is a band where most of the people in the band are Eastern Orthodox. And they're worshiping God in a very, very unique way by making brutal tunes. And so how is it even possible that metal music could honor God? Well, I don't know. Are the people making it trying to honor God and are doing their best to do that? I would say that's the answer. All right, next question here. Well, this isn't a question. This is, uh, looks more like a challenge. It says, shuffle your music and give us the first 10 tracks. Give us the first 10 tracks. Okay, so this could be super embarrassing, but uh, let's grab my phone here. Okay, so as I've told y'all before, because I have no idea what's about to show up on my phone right now, I just opened up my Apple Music and I'm about to go to my songs. But uh, as I've said very a lot before, I have a very eclectic taste. Okay, so I've listened to a lot of different things. Now, I'm not going to be able to play any of these songs. So hang on, I need to like turn the volume down. But I will 100% honest to goodness tell you exactly what shows up on my phone. I may even show the screen here so you can see it on YouTube. But I'm going to take the first 10 tracks. Okay, I'll, I'll just do my best to, to keep, keep, keep hold of this. But I'm just going to, I went into my songs on my Apple Music and I'm literally going to hit shuffle. So here we go. First one here. All right, this is Love is a Dance by Minutes Too Far. I think that's like a pop punk band. So that's number one. Next song. <laughs> I Hate Everybody by Halsey. So that's a pop song. All right, let's go to the next track. Uh, Saturday's Equal Celebration by one of my favorite rappers, Big Crit. That's King Remembered in Time. That's what K-R-I-T stands for. So that's number three. All right, number four. Interlude featuring Tech Nine by Lil Wayne uh, off the Carter Four, uh, off the Carter Four. So that's number four. All right, number five. The places you have come to, the places you have, you have come to fear the most by Dashboard Confessional. So for all you email guys out there, was that five or six? We'll just say that was. Uh, we'll say that was six. All right, let's go to number seven here. Uh, Dollar General Sign by the Joe Stam Band. So that's kind of like outlaw country or country ish. All right, let's go to the next one here, number eight. Ah, How Great Thou Art by Kyle Dillingham. So that's a local guy here that's a, uh, you, you know, plays fiddle and stuff like that. Okay, let's go to number nine. Uh, so Right by Dave Matthews Band. I'll just be funny. I have no idea why Dave Matthews Band is on here. I think that band absolutely sucks. Let's go to the next one here, our last one here. Uh, Better Man by Judah and the Lion. So as I told you, what was that? So we had pop punk in there. We had uh, some country. We had some uh, hip hop. We had Dave Matthews Band, which is his own brand of suck. So I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for that. I'm going to get hate for this episode anyway, for all the other stuff I talked about. But I don't get the Dave Matthews Band thing. He's right up there with like U2 and some of these other bands where it's like, how is this band so big? Like the Bruce Springsteen, like my goodness, like is it, how is it possible that that guy could have like a half a century long career making the crappy music he makes? But yeah, he's right on up there. So those are the first 10 tracks off of my shuffle. Let's move on to the next question here. Why do you only wear black V-necks on the show? So I think I've answered this before, but before I get into a show, there's obviously a lot of stuff on my mind. There's obviously like look at a, you know, an episode like the last one I did where we're talking about, you know, a particular subject and then all these quick hitters. I don't want to be thinking about crap that's not necessary. And so I like wearing black V-necks. I wear black V-necks a lot. And so before I go into a show, I don't want to be thinking about what color shirt I'm wearing or what style. And even when I go and speak, you know, at other places, when I speak at churches or men's events or something like that, I just wear black V-neck, black jeans, black boots. Because I don't, I don't want to think about what I'm wearing. And I also don't want to be a distraction. And so let's talk about a live event. At a live event, you're going to be distracting no matter what, because you have your own 
cadence with your voice. You have the way that your voice sounds. You have your, you know, subconscious mannerisms that you do. And that's going to be distracting to people no matter what you do, right? But I don't want them to be distracted by my clothes. So let's say I'm wearing like a green shirt and I start sweating. It's going to be like, oh, Kyle's sweating. And they're missing what I'm saying because they're looking at my pit stains, you know, or something like that. And then also, um, it's the least distracting thing that you can wear while performing. So if you look at a lot of like orchestras or different bands or something like that, they're just wearing black because they don't want you to be distracted by what they're wearing necessarily. They want you to be focused on what they're doing, whether they're playing an instrument or singing or for me speaking, that type of thing. And so for me, you know, I've got 10 black V-necks. And so when I'm about to go record or go speak, I just grab a V-neck. And so it's just, it makes things very, very easy. And even back in the day when I did sales, like, you know, black is kind of a, a forceful color. You're trying to drive home a point, but if you're meeting someone for the first time, you want them to, to kind of be relaxed. And so I would wear like a lighter blue or a lighter green because I'm a pretty intense guy. And so I can't really change how my face and head looks and all that intensity and all that ginger energy. And so I would try to soften some of the colors I would wear to, you know, start gaining that, that rapport that you need to gain in a sales cycle. But for right now, it's like, look, this is just the easiest thing in the world. Black V-neck is just kind of a classic cut. It's a classic color. It goes basically with everything. So there you go. That's why I wear a black V-neck all the time. All right, next question here. Would you rather be Mr. Olympia or the world's strongest man? So that's actually a fantastic question. So Mr. Olympia, that's bodybuilding, right? Great. So those are the guys that, you know, do all the bodybuilding stuff. And the world's strongest man is obviously, you know, strongman competitions. So I'll say this before I get my answer. Neither people are healthy. <laughs> I'll just tell you that from the very beginning, because Mr. Olympias are typically way shorter and way smaller, but all those guys are on crazy amounts of gear. They have so many steroids going through their body. And yes, there are ways that you can do certain types of, uh, you know, testosterone to where it's not going to be terrible for you, but in general, it's terrible for you. But then world's strongest man, a lot of these people are on steroids, but they're also enormous. And so their bodies, like their organs are, it's, it's so much pressure because of the types of working out that they're doing, the powerlifting, but it's also, they're carrying so much weight on their frames. So neither one is healthy, but I'm going to tell you this much. I would rather be strong than look strong. So I'm going with the world's strongest man because who wants to be the world's most muscular man when you could literally be the strongest? Because if you look like a, at a guy like, you know, Martins Leedsees or uh, Half Thor Bjornsson when he, he was still competing or, or Brian Shaw or uh, Eddie Hall, any of these strong men, these aren't like guys that are super ripped. They're not super vascular. You can't see their abs for the most part, but they're so much stronger than the Mr. Olympia guys. Now, Ronnie Coleman being the number one exception, most of these Mr. Olympian, Olympia guys, they're not going for strength and big, big lift numbers. They're going for, I mean, they're working out six hours a day or something like that. They're just doing set after set after set, rep after rep after rep, whereas that's not exactly what it takes to be the strongest man. Now, all these strong men are also huge. I mean, Brian Shaw is 6'8". I think half the Bjornsson is 6'8 or 6'9". Like, these are huge, huge human beings. But if, if I got to choose whether I was the most muscular, strongest-looking person or the actual strongest person, give me strongest person 10 times out of 10. All right, next content or next question here. Uh, how do you deal with trolls of your content? <laughs> so um, I got asked this question recently because there's one particular guy on my Facebook uh, I can't even remember his name, but he will troll basically everything I post because I will post to Instagram and that gets shared to my Facebook. It's, you know, Meta owns both companies. And so it's shared to both. And as I've told you before, I don't look at the, the comments because I'm not going to change my mind about whether or not I should have posted a certain thing based on somebody's positive or negative feedback. So I don't spend any time in the content section. I'm also the type of guy that's very pessimistic. So I could get a hundred compliments in a row about how smart and amazing I am. And then get one person that's like, oh yeah, your content kind of sucks. And then that's what I'll focus on. Cause that's what my brain does. My brain will focus on the, the problems and uh, the, the deficiencies. It's not going to focus on the things that are good and positive because I'm a crazy person. Now, this particular guy, um, I interacted with him like the first or second time that he posted something. I mean, we're talking about years ago, guys. Like he, this guy's been doing this for two, three years at this point. And then I realized very easily that this guy was just a troll. This guy just disagrees with my content. He disagrees with my worldview. And so he just wants to like basically diarrhea in my comments section every time I post something. And so I just don't look at his comments like at all. 
And so the, but the thing is though, is whenever I get my notifications from Facebook, his you know profile picture will pop up there. And so I'm used to the profile picture because it literally pops up every single day. Now I've got some friends of mine that look at my comments all the time. are like, Oh my gosh, can you believe what that guy posted? I'm like, didn't look, don't care. Well, do you want me to tell you? Nope. Well, do you want me to respond? Nope. Like what benefit is it of me to give this guy rent free access to my brain? Like, cause that's the thing you guys that get into these Facebook battles and these Twitter wars and all these different things. What are you giving to that person? Because I used to be that person. Like I would write the thing that was really, really, that's one of the best things about this podcast is I could get those things that are really kind of controversial out of my mind and out of my brain and just put it on, onto here. But I used to do that on like my personal Facebook page. I would say, you know, here's this thing. And then somebody would respond and they would be mad. And then I would, you know, spend all this time coming up with this well-crafted multi-paragraph response. And then I'd boom, throw it out there. And you would think I would be satisfied, but I wasn't. Why? Because they respond right back with something that took them, you know, 30 seconds to write. And now here I am all day worried about looking at my phone, waiting for that next notification that somebody has responded. And it just, just ruined entire days of mine. And it was because I was giving rent free access to these people that disagreed with me to my brain and we weren't getting to a positive outcome for anybody because the way that you get to positive outcome is typically by sitting down and chatting with that person over a period of time and praying for their perspective to change. And so think about this way. When is the last time that you read a thread or a comment section on the subject of abortion and saw someone in the comments go, you know what? I used to think what was growing in the, the belly of a woman was a human being worthy of value and protection. But you know what? You've convinced me with your slogans. And so I'm now pro-choice. Let's kill those effing babies. Or the opposite, where someone's just like, oh, man, you know what? I used to just think that was a meaningless clump of cells, but you have absolutely won me over by calling me a demonic bigot. And so, yeah, great. Uh, I would like to be pro-life now. No abortion for any reason whatsoever. I don't know that that's ever happened. I don't think it's happened at all. And so I guess how I deal with trolls is I just ignore them. Like I, I will say this, this one guy on my Facebook, uh, for whatever reason, I came across his comment as I was going through my notifications and I just responded. I don't remember what he said, but I was like, imagine being so pathetic that a significant portion of your life is spent crafting comments on the page of someone that you don't like. Like, cause that is a, a part of his day. If he looks at his to-do sheet for every day and he goes down, one of those boxes is say something mean about what Kyle Thompson posted on the Undaunted Life Facebook page. How pathetic is your life that that's part of it? But again, that's just who he is. I can pray for him and move on. But the best way to deal with trolls is just to not give them any energy. Don't give them any oxygen. Don't give them any attention. Just move on. All right, we got a couple more left here. Next question. Will you ever buy an electric vehicle? Yeah, sure. Why not? I, I know some people are like, oh, super anti-electric vehicle. Like I'm not an anti-electric vehicle, but right now I see no practical purpose whatsoever for having one. So most of my driving is in the city, right? And so I could just unplug my car and drive wherever I need to go. But I drive a big truck. My wife and I move a lot of furniture, you know, we'll move stuff, you know, here or there from time to time. So I need my truck, I need my truck bed, I need the power of my truck. And I need the, the bed capacity. And when you look at, you know, any of these, uh, was it Rivian or, or different electric trucks, these are basically worthless. Like the, the bed is probably half the size of mine. Like I could get like an end table in there and like a pencil. And so it's not really practical for what I need a truck for. But also I just got back on from a couple of hunting trips. One of them was in Colorado and it's like, where exactly am I going to plug my car in? You know, when I'm at the base of a mountain. Now, 30 years from now, will there be electric vehicle charging stations all over the place? Will they have figured out the problem? Because here's the thing, my new iPhone that I got a couple of years ago, the battery was amazing for about four or five months. And now I'll look down at my phone sometimes at like nine or 9.30 in the morning and I'm at like 60% and I woke up with it fully charged, right? And the same thing is happening with these Teslas and these other electric vehicles is it's like, they, they, it's way too expensive to just, uh, recycle these batteries. So they just get rid of them and put you a new battery in. But how much does that cost? I mean, it's an astonishing cost to the end user. And again, right now there's just not really the infrastructure in place. Like if you live in Oklahoma and you have uh, friends in Florida and you're just going to drive road trip, 
you're sitting there trying to map out where in Texas and where in Louisiana and where in you know Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia and Florida can you stop where you can actually charge? And you've heard these horror stories of these people that are trying to get to the next place. Whereas I can just stop at a gas station. I'm at the gas station less than five minutes. I filled up, gone to the bathroom and, you know, bought myself a drink and I'm back on the road. But then you have these people where they're the 17th car in line for the two open spots because one of the the electric things is not working right. And, you know, all these people are having to plug in their vehicles for what, 30 minutes to an hour. And so like, I, again, describing all those things, if you have an electric vehicle, and it's just one of the vehicles for your family and you're using it basically to go and back, go back and forth to school or practice or, you know, grocery shopping or something like that. Sure. I'm all for it. But uh, again, I'm not going to be one of those people that's like, oh, electric vehicle, we're saving the planet because you're plugging it into your wall socket, which is powered by oil, natural gas and coal from somewhere. So will I ever buy one? Yes. Do I see myself buying one anytime soon? Absolutely not. All right. Last question of the day here. Have you looked into or thought much about Bitcoin? not just from a stocks or portfolio perspective, but from a morality sound money perspective. Uh, okay. So I don't really know what this person's referring to in, in terms of morality, but this is what I'll say in terms of Bitcoin or, uh, any type of cryptocurrency or NFTs or those types of things there, there's a reality here. So I'm going to give you generalized advice and then we'll, we'll extrapolate out just a little bit further. The generalized advice is I think the amount of money that you should be comfortable putting into cryptocurrency is the amount of money that you would be comfortable with setting in front of you on a table, pouring gasoline on it and setting it on fire. So for you, if that's a hundred bucks and you want to see if you can strike it rich with crypto or something like that, sure, spend a hundred bucks. For some of you, it might be five G's, right? Yeah, you would be, you wouldn't be happy about it, but if you put five G's in front of you and then lit it on fire, you know, you're not going to be poor, right? You're not going to have to, you know, go on food stamps or something like that in the next month. Like, okay. But in general, it's not an actual thing that you're getting, right? So it's not like real estate or like uh, an unopened bottle of 50-year-old scotch or a piece of art or a muscle car or something like that that could appreciate in value. So it's a different type of asset. It's in a different asset class. But I will tell you, there is a personal friend of mine that turned an initial investment of $500 and a lot of reinvestment along the way into over a million dollars, around $1.2 million doing crypto. I, I mean, I was with him. I saw his computer screen. I saw where all the money was. And he's like, yeah, I could transfer this 1.2 over to my bank account right now. And I'm like, well, why won't you do that? And he's like, well, because I've already paid off everything. I've, I've taken out money and I've like paid off my school. I paid off my house and my car. I paid off, you know, stuff for my sister. And I paid off, you know, I paid off all this stuff. And so now I'm just playing with house money. But then like within two months, he had lost a million dollars of his crypto money. And then it went back up like four or 500,000. But this is just what he did all the time. And he was working with different like poo coins and different things like that. But at the end of the day, if you don't fully understand it, don't, don't invest in it. I remember Kurt Schilling, one of the greatest pitchers in, in Major League Baseball history. He basically put his entire fortune, right, that he had amassed over all these years of pitching in Major League Baseball into this video game company. And he wasn't a gamer. He didn't understand the business side. He didn't understand business in general. And the company went belly up and he basically lost all his money. He lost the money that it took him, you know, 15 years of an MLB career to accumulate because he put it into something he didn't understand. And so I do know some people personally that have put a lot of their personal net worth into hoping that Bitcoin does go to the moon. And the thing is, is if you owned you know, back in 2011, like if you owned, you know, 10 Bitcoin, they were worth like less than a penny at that point. But now what is Bitcoin at? Well, actually, I'll just look at it. What is Bitcoin at? Bitcoin current value. Uh, looks like current value of Bitcoin's $30. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Because wasn't it like 60? Oh, it's 37,000. Okay. $37,236.39 as of Sunday, the 26th of November. Okay. But at its highest, it was like, let's look at all time. The highest it ever was. I doesn't look like it's going to bring that up, but it wasn't it like at 60,000 or something like that was the highest it had ever been 60, 65,000. So if you had 10 of them when they were worth nothing and then it went to 60,000, all of a sudden you have 600 K like, that that's a really cool thing. But if that's your only bucket of money, 
that's a big time danger because if you were to draw a grid, because I used to do this for people when I was doing financial planning, it's like you need to have four buckets of money because the stock market or the market in general is either going to be up or down and taxes are either going to be high or low. So if you could do kind of an X and Y access thing, that creates four boxes. You need a box of money for when taxes are high and the market's high, taxes are high and the market's low, taxes are low and the market's high, taxes are low and the market's low. You need money for all four of those different things. So you can do permanent life insurance there, you can do 401ks, you can do Roth IRAs, you can do you know, CDs, money markets, all kinds of different things. I'm not really sure where Bitcoin fits because the, the government hasn't really figured out what they want to do with that. From a tax perspective, um, you have to know that the federal government is not just going to let people continue to make money hand over fist and not have a great plan for taxing those people. So uh, again, in general, I don't know what you mean by the morality side. Uh, I don't think it's a sound uh, investment strategy if that's all you're doing. But if it's a small portion of your portfolio and you're just doing it to see if it goes to the moon, then I guess I'm all right with it. All right, guys, just a reminder, if you do want to be in future episodes of Ask Me Anything, make sure you submit the questions to info at undaunted.life or leave me a DM specifically on Instagram. I make sure I see those. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. Our mission at Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So you'll have some links in the bio. So I'll have links to, you know, Origin, Jocko Fuel, Primal Beef, all that. But the main link today is the donation page. Guys, if you want more content like this, you want this to keep getting in your ear holes and the ear holes of guys all over the globe as we equip them to push back darkness. We need you to hop on board and be a donor. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And also we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Perfect. Perpetua, which is off their self-titled debut album on Facedown Records. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>